Hi, my name is Mike Henry, and I'd just like to talk a little bit about my dad. My dad was the kind of guy, when we were kids, he'd come home from work, and we were all over him before he even had a chance to take his shoes off. Most of the time, he was down on the floor, on all fours, and my brothers and I, and later my sister would just, just be wrestling with him. He was the kind of guy that in the neighborhood, if he was out in the front yard, down on his hands and knees, we'd have neighborhood kids all over him too. And it would be nothing to see dad in the front yard with like eight kids all over him. That's just the kind of guy my dad was. A few years ago at dad's home going, we were going through some photographs. I found this photograph taken in 1964. It's a Kodak black and white square photograph of some shoes that most likely I had lined up. I had my dad's shoes there. I was four years old at the time, so my shoes were in the middle. And then my little brother was probably one, and his shoes were right next to mine. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm a painter, I'm an artist, I need to paint that. So within a couple days before the funeral, I, I did a painting, and it just was very uh, emotional for me. It was healing. It, um, I like to visualize things as an artist. So when I, when I completed this painting, I was just uh, in awe of the process of creating this that, that God allowed me to be a part of it, but that my dad, my dad's shoes were there. And you know, there's so many word pictures you can do with shoes, filling the shoes and, and walking in someone's shoes. And I noticed while I was painting this that my dad's shoes, the toes of them were always worn off. It could have been because we didn't have a lot of money, but I'm pretty sure it was because he was on his, on his knees wrestling with us, just rolling around on the carpet and the same thing with us. My dad lived a powerful life. He was a quiet, gentle man, but his faith was strong, and he was a rock. And we looked up to that, we want to emulate that. Uh, my dad loved to laugh, he was very joyful, like it's, he could laugh at himself. Uh, we laughed with him. That's the kind of dad I want to be to my daughters. If I am half the man that my dad was to us, I will consider myself a success. Can we thank Mike for sharing about his dad this morning? I remember uh, Mike's dad, Jim, very well. He was uh, one of the first men at the church I met when we came here, and everything he described is exactly how I recall him as well. And I remember it was at his funeral that I, I heard that story. And when I was getting ready for today's message, we, we were talking about these this in our creative arts team. And I remember that story. I said, man, I'd love to have Mike share that story. By the way, if that painting is up here. If you'd like to stop by and take a look at it after the service, you're, you're welcome to do so. And there is something about dad's shoes, right? Daddy's shoes. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I used to love, my dad had these uh, kind of a burgundy three-quarter top shoe. They're, they've kind of come back into style again back in the, I think, 70s is when dad had them, and it had a buckle on the side. Yes, I think some would call them like beetle boots or something like that, but it's uh, just after the Beatles, and, and I remember getting in that closet, putting those shoes on, just wanted to wear my dad's shoes. They never fit, obviously. They were too big, but I, I loved kind of crawling around in that. And then we were talking in our meeting, and Pastor Dan shared a story about um, with him and his son, Wilson. And uh, here's a picture of, of what Dan came across, and that's Pastor Dan's shoes. His, his are the big ones. And then Wilson's, 
And he wrote this in a post, and uh, here's what he said. He said, after church, I almost always place my shoes on the stairs so that the next time I head upstairs, I won't forget to take them up. Well, today after church was no different. And after lunch, when I finally went up to head upstairs, this is what I see. And when I asked Wilson, why are his shoes here and not in the closet, he looked at me and he said, because I'm like you, Daddy. And then Dan wrote this. He goes, I think I might just buy this kid a pony. So... <laughs> But we want to be like our, our parents. We want to be, we emulate, right? We aspire, we imitate. In fact, what do they say? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And as I was thinking about that, I wondered, okay, well, what is it about imitation? And part of it is when we imitate our parents, it, it's, it represents strength. Um, I don't know if I ever beat my dad in um, arm wrestling. My dad had a farmer bicep. In fact, he wears long sleeve shirts curled up, and it was always just above the bicep. You know, I could do that, but wouldn't be as impressive as his, you know. And, and it was like, man, when I would arm wrestle that guy, and even after my dad got older and was, was failing in health, I don't, I, I don't think I still would ever dare to beat him, even though I probably could. I wouldn't beat him in arm wrestling because it's just something about his strength that was represented in that. We aspire to their strength. We also, another thing we aspire to is, is just simply we love them right? We love them. We want to be like them, and so we kind of emulate them, and it's just our way of saying, hey, we love you. And then finally, it's a way of saying that we have an aspiration that someday we want to be like them. So I was thinking about that, and if we, as kids, have an aspiration of someday being like our parents or teachers or whoever they might be, then that kind of challenges me that I better make sure that I'm living a life they can aspire to. I mean, let's be honest. Our kids do tend to model themselves after us, good or bad. Now, I know today's Father's Day, and dads, I want you to know today, I have you in my mind and my heart, but I also rec recognize that we have those that are here today that are moms and grandmas and grandpas and some that are teachers and those who are, are bosses that have kind of a fatherly figure into the life of those they're modeling. Some of you are baseball coaches or, or, or uh, soccer coaches or whoever it is. And the challenge that I get from God's word is that I'm supposed to live a life that other people could aspire to and that would actually be a good thing. So I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy and 2 Timothy and the book of Titus, I, uh, I love to call it their letters to young leaders, but they are called the pastoral epistles. They are, they are, Paul is writing to young pastors, Timothy and Titus, to help them understand how to lead the church. By the way, the church is called the household of God, God's family. And so he's really trying to help them as young pastors know how to do this thing of God's family and how to lead it well. And so he talks about prayer. He talks about being bold. He talks about doctrinal purity. But when you get into chapter 3, many who have read this passage would understand it as being the qualifications for someone who's going to serve in leadership in the church. But what's interesting is that it's not, it's not just about those who are leaders. It's just simply these are the characteristics of being a Christian. So what Paul is saying that is if you're going to serve as a leader in the church, then your life ought to emulate 
what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's just, it's not only that, 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 that leaders are supposed to act this way, everyone is supposed to act this way, and if you're going to serve as a leader, you definitely need to act this way. Gene Getz, years ago, and in fact, probably been 25 plus years ago, wrote The Measure of a Man. And in that book, he challenges men to look at these godly characteristics and live a life that aspires to put them into practice. Let's take a quick look. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, an elder, a bishop, or someone who oversees the church, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, uh, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he care for God's church, which is called God's family? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. And then verse 9, as he's talking about deacons, he, he adds this in, which is a great clarification. He says, they must hold, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now we could spend a month going through this passage. They are wonderful words. They are very picturesque words. But today what I want to do, guys and gals and parents and grandparents and anyone who has influence, I want to challenge us today with four characteristics that is a life that people can aspire to. And the first characteristic is simply the phrase, above reproach. Say that with me, would you? Above reproach. You didn't say it with me. One more time, ready? Above reproach. The word above reproach, see, it just simply means to be a person, a man of good reputation. He says it right there. He says he must be, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, what does that mean? Well, a reputation is also called a witness. It's called a testimony. And he says it's not just to have a good reputation with people inside the church. You ought to have a good reputation with people outside the church because that's going to impact your ability to bring people into the church. And you will always have individuals who throw darts at you. You just will. Can I just tell you, I don't really care what kind of person you are. You will always, if you're a leader especially, you will always have people who throw things at you. But if they're going to throw things at you, make sure that the only things that really stick are the things that have to do with your faith in Jesus Christ. Daniel is one of my absolute favorite characters in all of Scripture. Certainly in the Old Testament, I would say Daniel, then Joseph, Joseph, then Daniel. Those two kind of go back and forth. And yeah, David is interesting to me, but there's something about the life of Daniel. Daniel was a man who was above reproach. He was, a, he was a respected individual. And it says in Daniel chapter 6 these words. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities 
that the king planned to set him up over the whole kingdom. Now, what I love about this is, in other words, the guy was excellent in his field. And really, there's a challenge to us, right, as believers to be people who do what we do in business or wherever it's at and do it with excellence, to do it with respect. At this, the administrator, and so he was so, uh, by his exceptional qualities, the, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. I love that, talking about those in charge of government affairs. They could find no corruption in them because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt, corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I love that. In other words, if we're going to get some dirt against this guy, we're going to have to change the rules, change the law, so that him being a person of faith, being an individual of character and devotion to God, that's what becomes illegal. There's a book that was written. I can't remember who the guy is. I, did, I should have looked at it. It's, on my, it's actually in my devotional area at home. I think it's by Larry Osborne, just written in the last two years. I believe it's called... Um, something in Babylon, something faith in Babylon, um, the testimony, I'm going to get it for you. I got to get it for you because now it just got, went away from me. But it's, it's thriving, thriving in Babylon. And it's a whole thing on the story of Daniel. And it challenges us because he says, you know, all of us want to live in a Christian world, which I hope we all do. And we want to live in a Christian culture. But Daniel, Daniel never lived in that kind of a culture and yet excelled and lived as a light in a very dark world. And he, he basically uses that as a platform to say that, you know what, it may not always be popular to be a person of God, live as a person of God anyway. What an incredible testimony to say that if I'm going to have something against you, the only way I can have something against you is if you're a person of faith and because of your devotion to the Lord. My dad was a guy who, um, he kind of lived a large life. It wasn't because he was wealthy or anything like that, but my dad was known by a lot of people in our community. And my dad had some really great attributes. He had some attributes that I probably would make fun of as well. But my dad was known as a hard worker. He was a guy who would always go above and beyond and if I can say it this way, okay, my dad, my, is it fair to say, Tammy, my dad was a little thrifty. My dad was tight. My dad was cheap when it came to certain things, and yet he was never cheap with other people. In fact, I don't, I'm sure my dad negotiated prices, but my dad was the guy who just simply, give me a fair price, I'm going to pay that price. My, that was kind of how my dad worked. And I remember one time um, I was out of high school. I don't remember if I was married yet or not, but I was at the auction, a farm auction with my dad. And uh, my dad, we never had a hydraulic disc. The only discs we ever had were these little small ones that were on three-point hitches, and he did all of his farming with those. And there was a hydraulic disc that was the perfect size for us. And my dad said, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to get that disc. Phil... Philip, probably, he always called me Philip, I want you to bid on it. My dad was under the idea that if anybody saw him bidding, they would bid him up. So I said, well, I don't have to pay for it. 
He says, well, that disc probably is going to go for four or $450, but he said, I, I'll go up to $225 or $250. So, okay, never been at an auction before. By the way, he unleashed a beast. He got me started on something. I'm still going, man. <laughs> and uh, so I blame him on that. But anyway, so I got there, and again, I'm just like eight, 18, 19 years old. I'm standing at this thing. I'm watching all these farmers give them the, you know, give them the eye, and nobody's bidding. I made the first bid, 70 bucks. There was only like two or three other bids. We got the disc for 110, 115 bucks. I was so proud of myself. I just saved my dad $115. I, I thought I was on top of the world. The guy who was selling the disc was a friend of our family. He came up to me, he goes, he, he said, Philip, you got that disc. I can't believe, you, you dummy. I can't believe you got that disc that low. I said, hey, all I did, I just waited a bid. And I was so proud. And my dad said, I can't believe you got the disc. You know what my dad paid for that disc? $225. He went to the guy that was selling it and paid him $225. Why? It was a fair price. That's what my dad, I'm just saying, dad, if you wanted to spend $225, why didn't you give me 110 bucks? <laughs> What's interesting about a person with good reputation is you tend to open up avenues for your children as well. Now, we got to hustle a little bit, but let me just tell you three things about reputation. Number one, you can't buy it. In fact, if you try to buy a reputation, you ruin your reputation. I love this story. I didn't think about it until the first hour. But I was, the, the pastor was in a small Midwestern town. There was a guy in town that died. He was a, he was a, he was a mean businessman. He was kind of a greedy guy. Never went to church. Was kind of a was not a good good guy. He was kind of a he was known for being just a, a bit of a jerk. And his brother was also a very wealthy businessman. He came to the preacher and he said, "Hey," he said, "I'd like you to preach nice things about my brother at his funeral." The preacher said, "Hey, I I got to be honest. I got to be honest about him." His brother said, "He said I, I want you to speak really well of my brother. In fact, I'll pay you to speak well of him." He starts pulling out $100 bills and putting them in front of the preacher. And when he got to a certain amount, the preacher finally said, I think I know what I can say. Preacher gets up at the funeral to talk about this guy. And he goes, I think we all know about this guy. Never went to church. Wasn't much for the Lord. Frankly, he was kind of a filth of a man. He was kind of greedy, cheated people, kind of a swindler. Wasn't a very nice man at all. But compared to his brother. <laughs> <laughs> You can't buy a reputation. Number two, reputations take time. And number three, reputations come from a life of consistency. Isn't it something that you can spend years building a reputation, you can lose it in a moment? Life above reproach. Number two, the second characteristic is to be a, the husband of but one wife. Now, now, that's a challenge because when you see it, what does that mean? It means you either, you mean you got to be married or you can only be married once. You can't be divorced. Can't, your wife can't have passed away and you remarry. I mean, what does that mean? It means a man of moral purity. Throughout history, people have debated this passage and they have looked at it and said, you know what? You got to be married if you're going to be a leader. That cuts out anybody who's single. You gotta, you gotta be married only once. That cuts out anybody who's a widower and remarries. You, you can only be married to one wife at a time. 
what's interesting about that is in Roman law, you couldn't be, you couldn't be married to multiple women anyway. Rome was weird. Rome could have some of the most immoral things that were normal, but then they still had laws in place. It was illegal to be married to multiple women in the Roman Empire. So it doesn't make sense that Paul would have basically said, you can't be married to multiple women because they couldn't anyway. But what was, and this is where Rome was just weird. What was very common in that culture was to have a wife to have a mistress prostitute and to have a slave girl. That was allowable. That was acceptable. Now that's legal, but that's not moral. And so when you look at this passage, what is he saying? He's saying, if you're going to live in this, be different than the culture. Be a one-woman kind of a guy. Be a person of character. And that's why often in leadership what we talk about is watching the person's life, not being a recent convert, because you want to see, is this a person who is a faithful person, a, a faithful man, a faithful woman? Are you faithful? Do you keep your word? Do you keep your promises? Do you keep your covenants? And it's been so impressive to me over the 20 years now that I've been at Colonial Woods. Every time I say that, I almost shake my head. But I, I look back and I saw, I've seen so many godly men who have for me been a, a challenge that I want to live like those guys. And I can go through and name them, but I, I forget someone. I, 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 they're, they're long since gone. Now, several of them are still around. And by the way, this morning I was texting some guys who are today challenging me that they're, they're setting a great example, that they're a life I want to emulate. But these are guys who have long since gone to be with the Lord. And I just said, Lord, I want to be like that person that someday I can look at my kids, my kids can look at me and say, you know what, he was, he was faithful to his mom. He was faithful, a person of moral purity. There's a third characteristic. It's worth living up to. It's worth sharing as a model. The third one is just simply to be respectable. I love this word. The word respectable, it means a person who is adorned with the gospel of Christ. Here's why I put it that way. The word uh, for respectable is cosmeo. It is the word we get cosmetics from. You wear cosmetics what? To look pretty, to look attractive. It means to live a life of good behavior that people can look at it and be attracted to the gospel of Christ through it. It's living a life that is attractive to others that they may also want to follow Christ. I would say most of the people who are in this room today would say I'm a Christian. And probably all of us have either said or heard someone say, well, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't want anything to be, I don't want to be anything like them. What this is saying is live a life that when people see your walk in Christ. They want that. It's to be a person of respect. And it's interesting because he hits all different kinds of areas. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says that I, I call you as a prisoner of the Lord to live a life that is worthy of respect or worthy of the calling that you have received. 
He tells us later on in Ephesians, be very careful how you live, very careful how you act in everything that you do. And it is one thing to demand respect, and it's another thing to command respect, but it is, it is an incredible thing to be worthy of respect. And over the years, I've heard guys who have said, well, you know, Scripture says my wife is supposed to respect me. And by the way, that is what Scripture says, and it doesn't make it a conditional clause. You're just supposed to. By the way, guys, you're supposed to love your wives. It's not conditioned. It doesn't say if she respects you, love her. It just says love her. Love her like Jesus loves us. Unconditionally. There's never a conditional clause. But here's the thing I tell guys. But man, if you live a life in such a way that your wife wants to honor you and wants to love you, that's an attractive life. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, respectable, adorned with the gospel of Christ. And there's a last one. It's not the last one in the passage, but it's the last one today. It is live with a clear conscience. I love this word. It means you have the right to speak. Paul uses that phrase four times in First and Second Timothy. And I remember the first time I learned what this word meant, it can also be translated blameless. I remember it was, uh, it was uh, Dr. Bruce Moyer at my college when he, we were going through the pastoral epistles. And I remember when he dissected that word and he helped me to come to grips with what it meant it means live in such a way publicly and privately so that when you speak about something, you have the right to speak about it. If you're going to speak about purity, be a person of purity, publicly and privately. If you're going to speak about generosity, then be generous publicly and privately. It means to live in such a way that when no one else is looking, except you and God. You have the right to speak about something. That's a powerful challenge. And I don't know if you guys did this at all. Um, we have a little door where the kids, when they were growing, we would you know, take it and we'd put a measuring thing on it, measure how tall they were. Any of you do that in the house? You got a doorway or you got a door jam or something. Some people, when they move, they want to take it with them, right? And we measure their growth. Well, this is a different kind of a measuring stick. This is living a life that if our kids or our grandkids or the kids that we have or the, the people we have influence over, if they were to model that, it would be worth emulating. 17 years ago, I was walking in a, uh, a Dunham's store. And I came across a pair of shoes that when I saw them, I, I loved them. Um, to me, they just speak for themselves. They are size 22 <laughs> shoes. 
And I've had a lot of fun with these. 17 years ago, Brittany was 13 years old. In fact, um, I did a message uh, called Wear Shoes You Want Filled. And Wesley, I had pictures of Wesley in these shoes. Wesley has grown a tad. So we had a little fun with this because I realized um, that's Jackson. That's my oldest grandson. That's Porter. And uh, oh, by the way, for Father's Day, they are, they are with us. And there's just something about wearing daddy's shoes, right? You just, you have so much fun with that. And um, uh, I tried to grab a pair of my dad's shoes, but um, I, I, oh, I, I think I wear about a size 11. And um, after my dad passed away, I got in his closet and I pulled out some of his old shoes. My dad was like a size nine and a half. I couldn't get his shoes on. And I thought, you know, if you're going to wear shoes, why not wear shoes that your kids can grow into? By the way, Calvin, really close to this size. No, he's not. He's, I think Calvin's a size 14 or something like that. But if you're going to wear shoes, why not live a life? Why not wear shoes that are big enough so that generations can grow into them? And, and so I saw these shoes and I thought, man, I, I want these. And, and I, um, I keep them in my, my office. I saw them just a couple of months ago. And I thought, man, you know what? I haven't, I haven't pulled those shoes out in like 17 years. All of a sudden, I feel like a hobbit. I feel like Frodo. <laughs> and dads and grandpas, can I really challenge you this morning? Um, we mess up all the time. There's only one perfect heavenly father. And you can't go back and you can't change anything in the past, but, but what you can do is beginning today, say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live a life that's worthy of my kids to follow. And moms, you can't go back and undo the past, but you know what, starting today, God help me to live a life that's worth modeling. And you may not have any children, you may not have any children but you have influence in living a life that others can follow. It's wearing shoes that somebody else could someday aspire to fill. It's a powerful call. And it's one that God challenges us to live. So, Father, thank you for uh, days set aside in the calendar to honor moms, to honor dads, to honor military, to honor those who've passed away, to honor... There's a lot of different days in the calendar, but, Lord, all of those, to me, call us to honor you. And so, Father, as we work through and as we grow in our character and our calling, I pray that all of us would live a life that is worthy to aspire to. And in those areas where we can't undo the past, Lord, you're able to heal and we're able to begin again and we're able to one day 
show that we're a person who's lived this consistently over a long period of time until you take us home. Thanks, Lord. We love you today, our good, good heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.